Hello, and welcome to the Ask Weldon Show, episode 266. Why do you play an alt instead of your main? Today, we're going to talk about the four following questions, how to develop skills for coaching, performance anxiety on main versus alternate characters, how to structure an eSport mesocycle, and open map macro knowledge versus decision-making, plus starting off coaching. Why don't we jump right into the show? So once again, welcome to the Ask Weldon Show. I don't have a lot of announcements today, so we're going to go right into the first question from Dominic on how to develop skills for coaching. Hey, Weldon. I hope you don't get this message too often because I also tweeted at you uh, with the hashtag AskWeldon. My question is that I'm very, very interested in becoming a coach in League of Legends or in gaming in general. And currently I'm studying psychology and I have vacation right now, so I have a lot of time in my hands. And I want to know how do I get such a big knowledge on macro gaming and drafts and general game analytics like you and like maybe LS or other famous people who analyze League for a living. And how do I get the skill set necessary for being a coach? So, um, this kind of goes hand in hand with our final question of the day. But basically, uh, there are two big skill sets you need for coaching. One is how to change a person's behavior. And the second is what to change that behavior to. Okay? Okay. So you can actually become a successful coach specializing in only one of these. You can be a really good analytic coach knowing what it is that you want to change the behaviors, player's behavior to. You can be a really good person coach, person like a people coach, being able to help people change the behavior. So I think that you need to do a little bit of self-analysis and say, like, which of these things am I going to uh, succeed at? And then uh, essentially the way that you learn is by doing, seeing where the gaps in your capability are, and then going and learning those gaps. So I always recommend to start volunteering. Volunteering as a coach at any level will quickly instruct you into what it is that you're capable of doing now and what it is that you can't do. And if you're good at it, you will start succeeding at it because it's a pretty performance-driven space. And then when you succeed at it, that will naturally lead to more success. So my recommendation is to Start volunteering at the level at which you are able to do it at um, or get a volunteer gig at and then start uh, seeing the gaps in like those two categories that I gave you in terms of coaching skills uh, and then just filling them. You fill them with knowledge and you get that knowledge either by going and studying at a university like I did, having a mentor, uh, reading a book, um, asking your dad or mom who's a coach information, messaging people on Twitter who's a coach once you have very specific questions, things like that. Uh, Yeah, so good luck. Let's jump into the announcements for today. I think that I I don't have any announcements other than that the beta is live for the show and that I haven't done, or sorry, for the app, and I haven't done anything with it for the last four weeks. Um, With COVID-19 kind of swamping the school year for kids and me being the main 
uh, I guess you would say tutor trainer for the children in their homeschool, it's just going to be a slow season for me because this is a one-man endeavor. So I am in a very small house in California finding it very difficult to record audio for the beta. And what I've done is I've taken my previous program, which is all 50 videos essentially for the video training, and they are within the beta in like a link out to a a platform, not a platform, but a portfolio where all of those exist. So I, every time I record an, a new version of the audio for this app, I kind of go back and I re-listen to the previous episode uh, that I had recorded in the previous versions and make notes of things. And the one thing I noticed is that it's really dang good. It's very good. I was like, boy, I should just use this again. Of course, I say some things that were that are out of date in terms of like uh, the game, like League of Legends or something like that. So I want to update or, or like an, reference an activity that I've changed the name of the activity or what we do in the activity. Um, so I want to update it for that purposes. But a lot of the content is golden. And I think that um, in while you're in the beta, obviously in lieu of the, the ongoing re-recording of the content, all of that uh, program still exists and is still there to be accessed. So uh, with the COVID-19 timeline, please come and check it out, mindgames.gg. Let's jump into question number two from Guido. Hi, Wilden. Hi, Guido. Quick context before asking the question. Uh, I've been hitting Diamond 5 consistently for the past six years in solo queue. And this year, I started to pay a lot of attention at my graphics performance from some of the websites. Uh, when I look at the graphics after a week ranking session, I feel like I'm going to mess it up. Like, I don't want to ruin my statistics. It feels good looking at how well I perform, and I want to keep it that way. But at the same time, I want to keep climbing. So this is where I start feeling conflicted and start to avoid playing with my main account. Could you give me some insight about this pressure that I'm feeling? Thanks for all the great content you provide. Bye-bye. What a great question. Thank you so much for calling it in. Uh, you must destroy them. You must burn it down. This is performance anxiety. You are putting yourself on stage and you're saying like, there is a thing that I want to achieve and now I want to go and it's possible I might fail at it. And that is the like the literal definition of performance anxiety or stage fright or whatever it is that you want to call it. It has the same structure neurologically. And the only way to productively move forward through this kind of stuff is leaning into it, leaning into the pressure, leaning into the stage fright, leaning into the anxiety. So the only thing that you can do is hold that desire to be excellent and then go in and strive to be good and and keep looking at your graphs. Uh, graph, Greg, you said graphics, but I'm going to say graphs, which I think is like the more native English term. Uh, continue to look at your statistics and your graphs and continue to desire to improve them, but accept the failure of them just being destroyed in the way of like not a judgment on who you are, uh, a judgment of who you are today, but not who you might be the next day. Okay. And you have to develop mantras of coping with this. So you say, for example, um, I might not be good enough today, but that doesn't mean I won't be good enough someday. Or like anything you can do to make sure that you're not intentionally burning down the graphs in order to not care about them. So if you're like, I'm purposely going to be bad on this because that way I, I can have an excuse and be like, yeah, but I wasn't really trying. Like that's not the way to lean into the pressure properly. Uh, so that's kind of like the danger 
thing to, to make sure you don't do. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, um, lean into it. Don't, uh, you can make a simple way to do this. So uh, just create a rule, say like, I refuse to play any alternate characters. Just only play your main, for example, for a month. Um, every single game, no matter what, even if you're playing with friends um, and kind of burn in your mind that representation of who you are to to the ground so that it has no power over you and what you choose to do. And then something else will come up and be the next thing that you're trying to be in a pedestal with and, and you'll step up to that, that uh, stage next. So continue that process as you go along. Great question and thanks for calling it in. Um, this is the part where I usually advertise the beta, but I talked about it already in my announcement section. So, uh, anyway, check it out. Mindgames.gg. This is now, uh, we've escaped from the video course model where I sell a single copy. If you had, if you purchased access to that anytime in the last five years, since I launched the video course, please message me on discord or by email to make sure that you get grandfathered into the actual, uh, the new program, because that's what you're eligible for. Uh, and if you haven't, now is a good time to buy the beta because it's cheaper now. Um, and then you will have the beta uh, tag on your account. And so at some point, there will be some graphical representation of your support for the development of this application uh, in the future. And um, that's all to really say about it right now. Um, it's a training program. You probably know about it if you're watching the show. The Buying Games program is essentially a a uh, lecture series, a 50-course lecture series that you do one every day or uh, at least a minimum of three to five a week. Uh, and then they're combined with a mindfulness training session that aims to improve your performance in uh, any aspect of performance arts. So whether it's giving a speech, playing a video game, or doing European football, whenever you step up on stage, your brain is going through a similar set of hoops uh, and you need to train in a specific kind of deliberate practice way no matter what you're doing. So this is kind of a general principles of performance from the sports psychology perspective uh, program that you can you can go through. Uh, make sure to check it out. Let's jump on to question number three from Moya. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Hi, well. Hi. I just started planning out a four-week mesocycle for Dota. Four weeks seems to be when I usually start overreaching. The first four days, I play two games a day and then try to figure out what to work on by watching replays. Then I go for ten days of nine games, which in hindsight is way too much. Then I go for six games for a week, and the last week only consists of BO5s. How would you structure this mesocycle, knowing that the maximum amount of games you can focus on are about five to six? You said in a video that you should vary the amount of games, sometimes go for more than you can, sometimes less. Should it change it day by day, or go for one week of five, one week of seven, etc.? Also, is there a way to improve the limit of, of like five games a day and overreach for longer than four weeks? Thank, thanks. Really good question, and I actually like your mesocycle uh, as it is. I would say that you ha kind of have the right idea of starting out by laying a good groundwork and then going into the spam mode and then winnowing it down to pure competitive focus. Um, so to answer your other questions, should you uh, you should vary the number of games you play? Yes, always. You should do the number of games that you can do on that given day, uh, given your goals, uh, and plus one if you're going to plus one or minus one if you want to leave more fuel in the tank for the next day. Um, if you're like, uh, now I forgot the term, um, when you're winnowing things down, tapering, if you're tapering, um, 
But the answer of whether or not you should change it week by week, I think, is that you should adapt to the set that you're in. Like, I would I would pay close attention to the transitions. How do you know, what does it feel like when you have done enough two-game plus planning days to where you're ready to start the spam? How do you know, like, pay attention to your body. When do you know that it's the right time to step down from nine games of, like, crazy, just insane flow state trying to get it all the oil, you know, flowing, all the grease in the wheels, down to, like, the more refined like six games and then the finally the more refined competitive like what does that transition feel like and and also how have you made the mistake of like stepping down too late and then not having enough fuel in the tank to get through the bo5s so it's more like you need to learn your training cycle and your training feelings so that you make sure that you can make it through the whole mesocycle intact uh, and then you can vary the length of it to suit your current physiological standing uh essentially what you're capable of doing at that time um, and sometimes that's just going to be to kill the, the cycle completely and just do one day of each and, and be done or something um, because you, you're just not in it. And what increases your ability to do more and longer? Uh, motivation, first and foremost. So treat it like a something you can't really get. Like drive is just this, in, far as I can tell, this pretty innate thing. And it fuels your motivation and your motivation needs to be tended like a fire. So you need to make sure it has oxygen, make sure you're like moving the coals out of the way when they're kind of like spent and the ash doesn't clog you up, putting on new logs that are, you know, dry. And so, so you throw on some wet leaves and it's obviously you're going to have some downtime. So treat it kind of like a, a fire that you're constantly tending and try to keep, keep fueled, um, and sometimes you want to bank it for the night, by the way. So this analogy, goes really, really far, uh, but essentially the way that the foundation of it all is your motivation and drive. And then after that, uh, your, your temple, your body. So are you eating too many fried foods and, um, are you not getting enough sleep? In which case you're going to be limiting what you can accomplish in terms of your training. So that kind of all comes down to those, those extra minutes, extra hours that you get. Um, but sleep is the foundation of everything physiological outside of the, once you get past the drive portion. So I would say dial in the drive, and the motivational regulation, and then dial in the sleep. And then after that, everything is like bonus points. Good luck. Really fun way to train. Okay, let's jump into the final question from Niall. Hi, Rodin. My name's Niall. I'm from the UK. Um, I'm extremely interested in becoming a coach. Um, I watch a bunch of major regions um, and some wildcard regions as well. My time watching the game is about two times more if not even more than playing the actual game. So I think my knowledge of the game, my knowledge of team comps, my knowledge of map macro is generally a lot better than just my mechanical ability in the game. Um, and I was wondering, is there a way to become a coach or to get my foot in the door without already being like a pro player or having insane mechanical ability? Like what other way is there... Uh, for for teams to take a chance on me, for other coaches to hire me, like want me as an analyst and stuff. How do I get my foot in the door? Thanks. Okay, so I'm going to try to remember all of the answers to this in my head, but basically I'm going to answer it in four parts. So you got the first part, which is the skill of coaching, and the second part, which is starting off coaching. So the first part, the skill of coaching. Like I said in the first question, you can get really good at as a person, at a people person, like changing people's behaviors. Um, it sounds like you want to lean more towards like the game uh, analytics. Okay, so I'm going to answer to that question here. Uh, 
you need to be very good at a particular set of insights, which is to know how it is that a player, the right decision that a player would make at a particular point in the game with the information given. So the way that you watch the game with the open map with no fog of war is really detrimental to that process because you're you have too much information and you're biased by it and you don't even know it um, the players don't have that information and they are making the the lowest risk or the highest reward decision according to like their instincts trained with the the fog of war which which basically says that players opposing players could be be anywhere and they have the the data of when they were last seen or when their teammate was last uh called so uh so you need to start watching ProView with half the map muted, so that you can all, so that you can start um, kind of conditioning your mind to that that playset. And this is really dangerous for people who who kind of like watch more than they play, as they start to not have those moments anymore because they're they're watching all open map games. Um, one of one of the highest growth times for me as an analyst coach was in Korea when we didn't have the. Uh, it, my first Korean boot camp in T, uh, with TSM in 2016, 2015. I don't remember. 2016, when when they didn't have the spectator client, so we had to watch everything through um, the POV of our players with the fog of war on. Uh, and I realized that some of my biases were were about like um, in terms of like leaning uh, around the, the location of the jungler, where we're like too much with information of where the jungler had started their their path um and and that wasn't known in the game because uh because you know we hadn't we hadn't discovered it or it hadn't been seen or hadn't been updated or somebody didn't didn't call it so so that that kind of that kind of like decision making at a particular moment needs to be trained and so i would recommend um going to streams of high high ranked players um or going to ProView. And then pausing the game at particular points to say like, okay, what decision would I make here? What would I recommend? And then playing it and seeing if they make the decision that you would recommend or not. And then ask yourself, why didn't they do that? Or why did they do this other thing? Or yes, they did the thing that I said that that, that if I were this person that I would do. Um, and once you hone in that instinct, then you can coach the moment-to-moment decision-making in the game. Otherwise, you are purely a descriptive analytics person. So we have this in statistics, like there's people that go on the news and they just talk about descriptive statistics of like what has occurred, right? Which is very different from doing probability theory, okay? Doing Bayesian probability and being a mathematician and actually predicting what's going to happen for a betting firm or something like that. So the difference between being a a proper predictive probability-based mathematician versus just doing descriptive statistics post hoc and then talking about what could have happened is the world of difference. Um, and I want to make sure that you know the skill that you need to have before you jump into the analytics side of coaching. Now, let's go into the starting off. So you you don't need to develop that skill outside of the coaching room. You can do that while you're on a team. Uh, so a, a more important set of skills is like, how does it that you get your foot in the door as an analyst so that you can start to be in the room with these teams so you can develop that skill as you're listening to the comms of the players and you can study them instead of some random streamer much faster way to develop your skill if you're studying pros live in scrims than if you're, for example, watching streams. So uh, that is all about your communication and presentation. So you get really good at communicating and presenting data um, and insightful data from the game in a way that like a, you think a player could use and then shop that around constantly in Twitter DMs as a, as a complete and cohesive set of slides for slides or like a one-pager 
for um, coaches for their opponents or for their preparation or for their draft or something. And eventually, and players too, players also. Um, And eventually, one of these people will put you in their pocket as somebody who's doing the work for them and then start to take you to their next gig. And then eventually you kick them out and you take their spot, dethrone them. (laughs) Okay, I didn't go into the Machiavelli part of that at the end. I didn't need to. But anyway, that's the real, let's be real here. Like that's eventually what's going to happen unless you get a different one and abandon them. Uh, But yeah, but anyway, that's kind of how the fastest way in uh, is to do the work and then have it be good enough and then shop it around to everybody and just get it to them so that then they start using it and then they become dependent on you. Uh, and then they start taking you with them and recommending you um, to their gigs. Uh, and and that's that's the way in. Uh, and then the other way is to start volunteering. Start working on teams of any level, doing the job that you want to do, and then prove to be good at it. And then use that to build your resume and cred up. So those are the those are the four answers. I hope that I, I ticked them all. Remember for the first one, I kind of referred to the first question. You should go back there and let's do it. But second, third, fourth point I hit here. And thanks for the fantastic question, Niall, and best of luck. All right, that's the show for the day. Thanks for tuning in. And remember that you can submit your own question, anchor.fm slash Green. If you go to anchor.fm slash Green, you will see the link for every single place this podcast can be listened to, whether it's Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever. It's all there, so you can use the podcast player of your choice. Just go to anchor.fm slash Green in Safari or Chrome or whatever's on your phone, and you can find the link, and you can click it, and you can subscribe. You can make sure you get notified when new episodes come up. And then secondly, you'll find a link to call in your questions and you'll do it right on your phone. Super convenient. It's through the app. It makes you sound really good. I don't know if you noticed the audio quality, but here, uh, all these questions were just called in from people right off of their phones with pretty high audio quality. So you sound really cool and you get your question answered. Um, And I treat every question seriously. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, And I will see you guys next time for episode 267.